Okay, so there are exactly four days left until Christmas, and um, as sort of a gift to myself, uh, now that I'm on vacation for uh, a couple of weeks, I'm going to do a podcast. Uh, this one is long overdue. I interviewed the uh, the subjects of this podcast quite some time ago, and I felt really terrible about uh, having not gotten it on on the web uh, until now. But I've just been really, really busy, uh, so hopefully they'll forgive me. Uh, I'm headed over to their house in just a couple of minutes to enjoy some uh, holiday cookies. So I would love to be finished and uh, let them know it's online when I walk in the door. So let's get to it. Hey, it's in a book. I am your host, Lawrence Rouse. I'm coming to you from Raleigh, North Carolina, and you are listening to It's in a Book. We are a formerly fortnightly, probably about monthly or whenever we can get to it, uh, podcast right now, uh, dedicated to five little questions and getting the answers to those five little questions from the readers of Raleigh, North Carolina. This podcast, the first of two that we hope to publish here in the latter days of uh, December, we will be interviewing Sam Harris and his dad, Jeff Harris, although not in that order. And uh, right at the end of the interview, Sam is going to read from a book that he brought along uh, just for that purpose. Um, so the interviews will not be followed by a, a reading uh, this month. Uh, at least not for me, uh, which, which may come as a relief to uh, to the few people who listen uh, on a regular basis. So um, at any rate, uh, we're going to get right into it because right after this podcast is finished and published, I'm heading over to the Harris's home for some holiday cookies, and I'm really looking forward to it. So we will see you after the break with uh, first Jeff and then Sam. Uh, thanks for coming along to listen. Our interview this month is with my friend, Jeff Harris. Um, we met uh, at uh, Lacey Elementary, sort of. It's a uh, preschool. It has, it's been over a year now, right, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. All right. So, And, and the cool thing uh, about um, meeting someone uh, who's a complete stranger and becoming friends is, uh, or for me anyway, is that you can always like look back to the day that you met them, and they look different for some reason. I don't know if, if you have that same experience, but I, I remember in childhood, it was it was like I noticed that for the first time. Like, as you get to know someone, if you think back to that day, they just, they look different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Jeff is sitting here uh, on the couch about to answer some questions, and he, he looks completely differently than he did uh, <laughs> that first day at Lacey Elementary. So, older. maybe I'm just a weirdo. Older. older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they're just older. I, I never thought of it that way. So... All right, so um, of course uh, I'm going to ask Jeff uh, five questions about books, and uh, before we do that, though, I'm going to hit him with the uh, the surprise question, um, which is that he tell us a little bit about himself, um, how long he's he's been in Raleigh or in the Triangle area, and uh, if you're not from here, uh, where you're from. So okay, go, sure. Go for it. Um, well, I have been in Raleigh for about four and a half years now. Um, we moved back from, uh, we were living in Hendersonville, which is near Asheville, North Carolina. 
Um, we'd been there for about four years. Uh, but I've been, I grew up in Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina, and Charlottesville, Virginia. And I went to school uh, in Chapel Hill. So I've kind of been in this area uh, on and off for really about the last 20 years. Right, um, right. So Born in Virginia? Um, born actually, well, I was, technically I was born in New Jersey. Um, but by the time I was two or three, we were living in North Carolina. Hmm. Um, and then was in Chapel Hill through seventh grade. Hmm. And uh, then we moved up to Charlottesville. And I went to high school there. And then I went back to college here um, at, at Chapel Hill. And then I got a job um, working for what's now, they're now Verizon. It's been merged a couple times since I've uh, worked there. Um, and then I went uh, back to, bec- uh, to school to become a teacher. And I've taught, um, I guess... It's about 10 years now. Wow. So wow. on and off, yeah. Yeah. So, and you like being a teacher? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I enjoy it. Enjoy it. Sweet. Sweet. I like it. All right. Well, with that, we'll uh, we'll get into the first question. Um, when, and I think Kristen uh, sent the questions to Beth, so... Uh, yeah, I know Sam has... Sam studied up for him. So. Sweet, sweet, yeah. Right, right after Jeff and I talk, we're we're gonna uh, talk some books with his son Sam, uh, his oldest. So, uh, but uh, the first question is, uh, how do you find the time to read? So, well, uh, it's kind of built in for me a little bit. Uh, there's there's reading for uh, that I want to do, and that reading that I have to do. Um, so right now, uh, I've been taking a uh, Past couple semesters, we get tuition assistance from the school that I teach at to take classes. So mm-hmm. I'm right now I'm taking a um, English literature class. So I'm doing a lot of reading for that, just as a matter of course, and, then, and that I, that's enjoyable reading. But it kind of provides some structure, mm-hmm. um, and you know, usually that reading occurs late at night after Beth has gone to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, fellas. You gonna build us some cool Lego stuff? <laughs> all right. I think I scared them all. And uh, <laughs> then um, reading, I do for pleasure. I um, my mom started getting me a subscription to the New Yorker, like when I was out out of school, and I've mm-hmm. kept that up. And then lots of times that will kind of become a launching point for you know I'll read something in there, or there are a couple of websites that I typically go to and, and that might um, trigger, you know, hey, I'm, I'm interested in that. So a couple of books I've read recently have really been from, you know, reading something in a magazine or a website and then makes me more interested and I want to go read that. So, right, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the time I would say um, mostly it's it's kind of late at night um, after I've done other stuff. And right. Sometimes right. I fall asleep reading but um if i'm really enjoying it sometimes i'll stay up too late and then not get enough sleep you know yeah yeah i've, I've been there done that <laughs> hey buddy <laughs> so sweet sweet well um and you answered this question just a little bit there but i'm, I'm gonna tax you with it uh, okay uh, just a bit more um so um how do you decide what to read and, and um you know i think uh, yeah a lot of it no, like you say is dictated by your class right now th- that's a good question because you know that sometimes really 
uh, can be overwhelming. They, it's, it's like there's, you know, overload. There's so many things to read and how do you pick? Um, so I, I really like having that class right now because that gives me a discipline. For example, we're reading, uh, we read a lot of Henry James. Mm-hmm. And while We've I, talked about that. I, I admire Henry James and I think I have a better appreciation. Having that class forced me to do that. Whereas if I'd been on my own, I might have ended up reading, you know, uh, Michael Malone or, or something that's a little much lower brow and, and not maybe as significant. Um, but sometimes just things I'm interested in, you know, if, if I'll get interested uh, something planning a lesson for class and want to find out more about it, I might, or talking with some of my uh, colleagues. So I don't really have a a, a system. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it will be just as simple as I'll be over with the boys going over to the library and, you know, I'll say, give me 15 minutes and then I'll be kind of browsing around in the fiction section or, or whatever. Um, so it's nothing systematic. I've tried um, to hit some of the, you know, a, a good balance between kind of guilty pleasure reading versus things that are uh, significant or challenging. Right, uh, and, right. And try to strike that balance if possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a good thing to do, I guess. Uh, um, <laughs> I, sometimes I think I, I lean, like, more toward the guilty pleasure myself. Yeah. Um, but or, or sometimes I'll read. I find myself, and I don't know if this is correlated with, you know, stress or just kind of, finding something familiar but sometimes i find myself reading the same book over again it's almost like watching a movie you've seen before yeah um yeah. so you know i've read some books probably Wait, what's a book you've done that with a lot um a confederacy of dunces mm-hmm. uh flannery o'connor's um short stories uh things that you know strangely enough even uh sinclair lewis novel babbitt which is really bizarre. It was just something I read in high school, and you know, it's kind of like you return to it at different times of your life, and yeah, um, yeah. there's kind of a, some familiarity. So, yeah, that's pretty neat. Um, my the thing that I do that with lately, and and I'm I'm saying this now because I don't think I've had a single podcast yet where I, where I don't mention this book. So here's yeah. my lead to, okay. to do it: is uh, Freedom by Jonathan Franzen. Okay. I I have probably read that book like six, seven times now. You know. Several times straight through, but in also just like going back and like reading a section or whatever. Yeah. Um. So so there it is. There's my uh, my plug for freedom. Well, I, uh, I should read that. I, you know, I, I'm embarrassed to say I can't really even remember. I I think I read. Was it the corrections? The corrections, right? That and, was his first I, big book. I remember. All I can kind of remember is that part of it was from the point of view of the father. When he had kind of dementia, dementia yeah. and that was really that was really powerful. I mean, that yeah. that's. Um, but I haven't read enough of of that yeah. of, of Jonathan Francis. I'll have to check that out. I, I hope he's got something new coming out soon. But, yeah, uh, you know, he had two smaller books, and when I say smaller, I mean like they didn't receive very much acclaim um, leading into the corrections. That's where he got big. And right, he had the big right. role with Oprah. Um, and yeah, then, that's why I think probably why I read it. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why a lot of people <laughs> read it. And uh, but but freedom was just like beautiful it's brilliant you know it, it, like if you've ever like picked up a pen to write and, and you read it you, you just wonder you know well why why bother so you know. <laughs> yeah i've read a lot of books like that where you, you go wow you know maybe maybe four or five lifetimes of of trying you could produce you know what 
some of these guys seem to put off, you know, early in their careers. Yeah. They're pretty yeah. amazing. With, so. Without thinking. You would, I mean, so it would seem, but. Yeah. I think he said he took about two years to write it, so. Um, so. All right, well, the next question is, um, how do you feel about books as objects? And, uh, and I'm, like, it's kind of a two-part question because, I, I mean, like, physical books themselves or whatever. Right. And then also, you know, kind of the, the paper versus digital question. So uh, have at it. Right. That, that kind of, for me, has a couple of um, – so, again, uh, my mom, who has encouraged my reading, you know, since I was a kid, um, got us a Kindle – at one point, mm. and I really never, never really didn't get into I, it. You know, I, and and I'm kind of surprised that I haven't yet. Um, I end up reading so much stuff online for work, not you know, not sitting down and reading a book, but all the other reading I do, articles, email, um, so that when I kind of am sitting aside doing reading, I just enjoy print. Mm. Um, it, and that's that's strange and you know pro- probably costly um but i do kind of still enjoy having the book i like being able to although i know you know you can still highlight stuff in the ipad i, I like just being able to you know mark it up if i want to right um you know i like if a book's you know the cover's falling off and you've come back to it and you know you can kind of see where you've been with it um so, I, I I'm not anti uh, digital, I guess, um, but there's something you know that you don't get the smell of it or the hmm. you know something you highlighted before or right. a page that was. To, I mean, the mustard you spilled yeah, in it now, the, you know, the first is, time you read it. You know, so this is probably you know a little ridiculous because it's it's awesome to have um, if you're doing a lot of traveling, obviously, to have all that at your fingertips. Um, and, and there's, you know, if I were doing more traveling, I'm sure I'd be, um, you know, much more in the Kindle. But, you know, while I'm here at home, I, if possible, I'd just rather have a, a print copy. So. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. So um, the the uh, Nook, that's we, we ended up going for the Nook, okay. which, uh, you know, like I think several financial websites have said Barnes & Noble won't. Should I say that out loud? Won't, won't be around much longer, or whatever. But but yeah, I've heard that months and months now. So so they seem to be it, doing. Yeah, it's it's hard to doing I, well. You know, I'm sure it's like everything you. You know, now we're old enough to remember technologies that you know when they were still in the stage of who knew, like the Betamax or you know, right. So, right. so it's still that kind of thing with like, you know, is is the Kindle going to be remembered as as you know just kind of the eight track or, or, or I don't know. Um, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a good, good thing to have. And I probably should use it more than I do, especially yeah. now that we have Amazon primes. So right. Right. Yeah. Take, you, yeah, you you take more advantage. Free books. Yeah. Right. All, all the stuff that's in public domain and everything. You know. Yeah. Have you, have you had any, uh, any sort of crisis of conscience with the, uh, have you been following at all? Like the, the war between, uh, Amazon and, and book publishers right now with uh, Hanchet, yeah, Hatchet yeah, or something like that. Yeah, you know that that has been a little bit. You know, I, I feel I just finished reading this book um, earlier in class. You know, because we're we're doing late nineteenth century um, realism and naturalism, and it's kind of you know they they have this 
scene where the guy's railing against the new department stores and then he has to go buy something and ends up <laughs> going to the department store. And then right. the book kind of has this omniscient switching back between omniscient and third person limited, how he kind of justifies to himself that it's that it's all good and that he'll help out the mom and pop store, you know, with something else. And that's that's probably how I feel about Amazon. Like I you know, if I if I were to in my self righteous moments feel like I'm contributing to the downfall of right. civilization, but then, you know, they put the wire on free for uh, um, streaming. <laughs> right, right. And for, I, uh, your and, I, up and, and I sign up. So, yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's, that's that's uh, one of the many, um, you know, discrepancies between my what I should be doing and, and what I actually do. So. Right. Yeah. We all we all <laughs> struggle with that. So, yeah, I, I dealt with that like because we have Amazon Prime yeah. and I and I like buy used books from Amazon all the time. But, you know, like, speaking from the point of view of someone who, you know, like, has, like, like uh, far-fetched, probably, uh, aspirations of, of, you know, like, publishing a book one day or writing a, a book to be published one day, um, it's captured my interest a little bit, you know, from that point of view. But it, it seems like, as with most things, both sides are, uh, are, are wrong and self-interested and, you know, it really, it, it'll come down to... Uh, you know who has the best lawyers? I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so we'll, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure. You know, if, if Amazon hears this and you know they want to give me a lot of money to uh, endorse them, or <laughs> I'm open. To, I'm right, open, right. I'm open to it. I'm not. You know. Yeah, they'll they'll know how to get in touch uh, <laughs> yeah. with you. You can. Um, you and can I expect a small commission. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Sweet. Sweet. All right, well, we'll move on to the uh, penultimate question here, which is, um, what is the penultimate, uh, the uh, second to last question? Um, it is, what is your favorite book of all time? That That's um, difficult, but I, I would say if I, if I had to choose one, it would be, I have this, the um, collected short stories of Flannery O'Connor. Mm. And, um, I mean, there are a lot of other great candidates for that um, books that I've read many times, you know, all the King's men, Robert Penn Warren. And, mm-hmm. um, but that, you know, I can still remember reading those stories for the first time. And, you know, sometimes I come back to them and I don't like certain ones as much as I did, or I like other ones more than I did, but there's just so, something so jarring about um, her writing style that, <laughs> Yeah, um, I agree with you. It, it is is I wouldn't say like she's the best author by any means, or I think there are a lot of it's flawed. Um, but as far as like me being, you know, wanting to read the story again and kind of think about it a little bit, and and they're they're all short enough to come back to, um, and they always make me, um, you know, I never leave one of the stories feeling like i've cracked it or i've got everything out of it um so that would probably be just personally um you know and one of the stories in that i think uh you know everyone knows a good man is hard to find that one but um i really liked uh revelation is it one of her tell me about stories it's um well the plot is essentially uh these folks are all waiting in a doctor's room mm-hmm. in, a, in, a doc, in a waiting room at a doctor's office. And this one woman, and it's set 
as all her, most of her stories are kind of in the must be the 40s or 50s in the south and it's very segregated society and this woman has come in with her husband uh, she's a rather uh you know large uh, uh white woman and it's kind of following her uh in in this waiting room there are kind of all the different um types that you might see in the side. So there's kind of the, you know, stereotypical poor white trash. And, and it's kind of goes through her, um, judgment of them and mm. through, through her, through her mind. And, and there's a really weird, uh, or a kind of a jarring turn in the story. Um, a woman and her daughter and her daughter's off at college at Wellesley mm. are staring or sitting on the other side of the room. And, um, kind of in the height of the story, the daughter's been uh, shooting this woman, Miss Turpin, nasty looks all the right. whole story. So the, the big woman. It, yeah, the it, big woman. been receiving nasty looks yeah. from the woman's daughter? It, uh, fr- from the woman's, the woman's daughter's been giving Miss Turpin these looks, and, you know, we're kind of going through, why would she be looking at it? And she's reading a, a book, and, um, and, and she throws the book and hits... Miss Turpin. Wow. And and you know the story ends up with Miss um, Turpin kind of railing it at God and you know why you know and she calls her you know um, you can go to hell you old warthog um, and really kind of sitting there uh, questioning her, kind of her place in the universe and she has it's kind of almost a a religious it's a very you know as usual I'm not I'm not. In, in, by any means doing it justice with this plot summary. That's one of those things you... Um, I like it because I guess I'm familiar enough with living in the South and having read a lot of Southern fiction to feel kind of comfortable in, in that genre. And then the way Flannery O'Connor always brings in kind of these, like, almost... It's like a you know, Greek tragedy or, or, you know, some religious thing that's all just almost supernatural in the story as well. Right, right. It's kind of gothic. Um, you know, it's, it, I, I just really kind of like reading over that uh, story. I just like her her stories. Yeah. In general. Well, you're the second uh, uh, reader I've, I've interviewed who selected uh, the collected short stories of Flannery O'Connor as their favorite oh, uh, book. Okay, um, Carolina, um, Kristen's best friend from uh, from middle school, and, and I think they were really good friends in high school too. Uh, also selected that. Oh, that's interesting. It's funny too because I, I know Kristen has a, a collected short stories of uh, Flannery O'Connor somewhere in the house, but. I told Carolina that I was going to go out and get yeah. one, or, or that I was going to read some, and I didn't. So, for one, I'm going to read. Uh, I'll let you borrow mine if, if you can't find it. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'm going to read uh, for the reading selection for this yeah. podcast. I'll, I'll read one of her stories, but but now I'm going to tell you about. Um, you ever listen to selected shorts? Uh, mm-hmm. It's like a they they do uh, uh, like famous short stories by by famous authors, and they have like uh, famous uh, actors or, or at least locally famous in New York City. Um, read these stories and and I heard a Flannery O'Connor story on uh, selected shorts. I listen to it on the way to work sometimes. And it was similar um, to, to the story you described. Uh, it was a, excuse me, uh, a, like a really um, Southern older white lady um, with her son 
who like apparently hates her. You know, like he, I think he's living with her because she's sickly or something like that. But he detests her. He's detested her his whole life. And they're on the bus. Yes, that's a yes. Great... So you know the story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to it on the radio and in uh, or not on the radio, you know, but on selected shorts. Yeah. on the on the, uh, on the podcast. And it, man, like I. I, I want to say, you know, and I, I want to say, I, like, I was really close to crying if I didn't shed yeah. a tear at the end of it. It was just like horribly sad, yeah. you know, like it was just like this sad, like, like commentary on, you know, on humanity. Because for one, like, you know, you can identify with it from either point of view. You know what I mean? Because certainly we we've all like stood in judgment of, of another person, yeah. you know wrongfully or or you know even if our judgment was correct we were, we were wrong to be doing it or whatever but but you know like you you can understand the woman you know even if you didn't agree with her and, right. and she ends up dying right i mean like the woman hits her and she dies yeah, yeah. it was oh my then, god it was horrible no it's I, um <laughs> that, it's terrible like the wrath of god you know yeah. i mean like it's <laughs> so um and actually i took a class this summer and that was a poetry class and and you know we were talking about we were talking about Flannery O'Connor just it came up with something else and you know I think I was the only person there was a small class that liked Flannery O'Connor but everyone had a strong reaction right you know and and I certainly you know um you know there's some of your her stories that are just difficult to you're like I'm not sure I but but they all they always have a very you're not going to leave them cold or or right. think you know so yeah that's a a lot of them are from kind of you start off thinking, oh, you know, this is a story about how we're supposed to look at this, you know, bigoted old lady. And then you kind of realize, like, no, that's not what this or, you know, or, or this it kind of shifts on you. And uh, it's really- yeah, she was sickly herself. Right. I mean, like she died young, I, I want to say. Plenary upon her. Yes, she had uh, lupus. Lupus. Right. Um, and so she she basically I guess she got, a, I think, an MFA at. Iowa, which was like, you know, the big the, time, the big then, time. Right? and then um, I want to say because of that, fairly quickly moved back, I think it's back to Georgia, and then lived with her mother, and, you know, they had the the peacocks that are in her stories, I mean, those were, she was like living on a farm, and right. so, yeah. Kind so, of southern royalty, royalty yeah, kind so, of thing. And, and some of the stuff she writes about, you know, is, is probably not... You know, it's not like these guys we're reading now who went out and experienced like Stephen Crane or, you know, Frank Norris that lived the life. I mean, she didn't live the life, but she wrote these really, um, you know, kind of amazing yeah, things to, for someone of, of almost like a, you know, very cloistered in some ways. Yeah, existence. I mean, like she was yeah. almost an invalid, right? Yeah. 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 So, interesting. Yeah. So, Cool. All right. Well, the the last question then is, um, what are you reading right now? So, so um, right now, I am reading "On the Run" by um, Alice Goffman. She's a sociologist, and um, I'm reading uh, short stories of Stephen Crane uh, for class. Mm-hmm. So, the mm-hmm. Open Boat, uh, the Blue Hotel. And um, that's 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 what I've got right now. Right, right. So cool, yeah. cool, sweet. Anything you want to say about them, or are you just well? Gonna, I would say just getting um, started on them. Uh, I'm pretty much done with on the run. It's an interesting, and I think I I think I got it's either through a website or 
something, some, reading some article got me interested in it, but it's basically a um, student who was an undergrad at University of Pennsylvania, and her parents had been like kind of an done a lot of anthropology field work and stuff, but she essentially decided to do field work in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. living, um, she had been tutoring uh, these kids, and then kind of the effect of um, the parole system and so many um, people being incarcerated, how that basically affects the entire community. You mm -hmm. know, so people having to worry, like, you know, if they're in violation of their parole, they can't apply for jobs. And then she kind of became so immersed in doing this. Um, she continued to, to do this when she was in grad school and like commuted and then kind of almost describes how she became fearful of like the people she was going to school with because she, she was seeing everything from the perspective of, 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 right, of uh, you know, being on the run essentially. Um, so it's interesting in one way because it's kind of a, you know, a little bit of an antiquated idea of like doing field work among there's something almost, you know, like we, and th that this is of another century. You know, we're, right. we're going to live among the natives and see how it and she kind of addresses that and also addresses, you know, you know, issues of race, issues of class. Um, so part of it is is interesting and kind of anecdotal, but part of it is very kind of sociological, you know, right. an analysis. So it's a it's an interesting book. And I have a colleague. Um, that teaches sociology and she's teaching a course on race. And, you know, we've kind of talked about this book a bit. Um, and then the Stephen Crane stories I'm reading, I'm really like, I'm glad I took this course because it made me, first of all, he wrote the red badge of courage when he was 22, which is incredible. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I never got really through that on my own. Cause I kind of, it was a little uneven and I just was like, uh, and, and, as, <laughs> and, and, and so I would have bailed on it. Um, but reading those two stories, uh, he's given me a, a, a lot more appreciation for him. I mean, he kind of matures a lot, uh, as an author, um, and plus they're short. Um, so they're, they're very, they're very interesting. So. Right. Right. Sweet. Sweet. All right. Cool. Well, uh, thanks, Jeff. Well, thank you. And now, now you guys get to to the good stuff and get to hear Sam. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty excited about this. So we're gonna lead right into uh, an interview with Sam. Unless Sam, are you hungry? Do you want to go up and eat first, or uh, or you want to go right into it? Um, not too hungry. Not too hungry. Good. Nope. Neither am I. Neither am I. Would it be better if I? You want me to stay okay. down here, or do you want me to go up? Sit here, so. Do you want me to sit with you? Okay. I'll be so glad to. It might be a bit all right. <laughs> sweet, sweet. All right, well, Sam, slide a little further over to, yeah, right there on the mic, and you don't have to worry about talking into it. I'll, I'll let you know if uh, if you're not speaking loudly enough, but I, I bet you will be uh, with, with no problem. I mean, I'm going to snap my fingers make sure my mic is picking up. It is. All right, so um, first of all, um, I, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us uh, how old you are, where you go to school. Tell, tell us how much you like living in Raleigh, or don't. Uh, tell, tell me all about Sam. So, well, where I have lived over the years is the same as my dad. 
and I'm nine, I'm in fourth grade, and I go to Lacey Elementary, and I don't really like living in Raleigh too much because it almost never snows. <laughs> See, I I could completely do without snow, Sam. So uh, I I can't really uh, I can't really co-sign on that. But I I understand your uh, you know how how you might dislike Raleigh for that reason. What what is it you like so much about the snow? It's fun to play. It's fun to play. I, I'll grant you that, but wait until you start driving and getting caught out in traffic for hours, uh, you know, so. But I don't know. Maybe you'll love it then, too. A lot of people do. So, okay. sweet. All right. Well, we're going to start talking about some books. Uh, you know what? I'm going to stand up for a second and move your mic a little bit closer um, okay. to make sure we pick you up. Otherwise, I'm going to have to turn up the volume just a little bit. So, we'll move okay. it down right there. And I think that should take care of it. I want you to say, um, Peter Piper picked, uh, you know that how that goes. Let's hear it. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Perfect. All right. All right. Good alliteration there. All right. So the first question uh, we're going to talk about is, um, how do you find the time to read? So being a busy fourth grader, I know uh, it isn't easy. So tell me about it. Well, I generally sometimes read in school. I read in bed. Usually from about 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock or a bit earlier. And otherwise, I read at the library sometimes when we're checking out books. I read in the car, but not for too long, so I don't get car sick. Yeah, my dad has that same problem. He gets really car sick when he reads in the car, but it doesn't bother me a bit. Um, But my wife doesn't like me reading in the car because she wants me to talk to her instead. So, <laughs> one day when you have a wife, you'll be thankful for your car sickness because you won't be distracted from a thing that you might otherwise want to do. So, so tell me about reading at the library. Do you do you like? Uh, like is there a specific place in the library you like to go and read? Do you have like a little nook well, or a corner there? Basically, any table, any any table that is a whole table, which is mostly all tables. Right, right. Now, when you say a whole table, do you mean that you don't like to share the table with someone, or? Um, I don't really like to share the table with someone except for Abe. Right, right. And Abe, of course, is your younger brother, who has gotten, like, incredibly tall since the last time I saw him. Like, it, I feel like he grew, like, at least a couple of inches. <laughs> All right, so, well, I, I think we just got a call that some french fries might be ready, so we're going to move on to the next question. Um which is, um, how do you decide what to read? Um, well, my friend Alexander usually recommends a lot of books. And the only books I've had recommended by teachers are the Percy Jackson books, which I never seen. I can't really find the fourth book. I'm looking for it. Mm. Tell me about the Percy Jackson books, because that sounds vaguely familiar. Well, it's about this person who, well, Percy Jackson, one of his, basically, he's in, he, every time he goes to, like, a school, he's, Basically, there's like an accident or something, mm. and he keeps moving to another one. So, one of his schools, 
he discovers that his friend Grover is actually a satyr. And so basically that gets him into discovering that he is the son of Poseidon. A satyr like S-A-T-Y-R? Yeah, like... Right. Uh, half man, half goat. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then, basically, and at home he has... His stepfather is a pretty mean person, and his father, his mother is pretty nice, but that, I mean, her stepfather seems to think that his mother is basically his servant. Uh, uh. So now, it, it, does his mother, like, uh, him, did, does Percy have any special powers? Like, is he... Well, like... I mean, there are some other people who have better powers than him, but, like, it's a bit like in Harry Potter, where he kind of discovers something he didn't really know about himself. Right, he has, like, this whole other destiny than the the life he's been leading. Yeah, and it's, like, basically Greek mythology kind of Hmm. mixed into a modern world. Right. Is it? Did they make a movie of this? Uh, yeah, they made movies. Right. Right. It's a, yeah. Maybe that's why it sounds familiar. Because I, I don't think I've read those books, but I um. But yeah, it, the I, the idea of the whole thing sounded familiar. Sounds good. I, I may have to uh, have to try and read some of those to Holden once we finish the uh, and my Snicket books. Recommends the Terry Pratchett books, which are very good and very funny. Yeah. So you you get a lot of book recommendations from your friend. What was his name? Alex. Alexander. Alexander. Uh, uh, is he in the fourth grade too? Yeah. So who reads more, you or Alexander? Um, I generally think of Alexander reading more, partly because I think his reading time is more in school than mine is, mm-hmm. but I'm not really <laughs> sure, to be honest. Right, right. Sweet, sweet. All right, so now this next question, and I, I you you brought a book with you tonight, so I, I uh, hopefully I, I have a feel for yeah. uh, how you feel about this question. Because normally, like at this point in the interview, I kind of like have a feel for how a person may answer this next question. But it, it's uh, how do you feel about books as objects? Like, do you like um, paper or digital medium better? And do you I've just like having liked, books around? I've never liked digital things because I'm just not good with digital things. No? Are you you more of an old school kind of guy? I like reading paper books and, well, basically, I like having books around in case I some have, for some reason, have have a desperate feeling that I want to read Harry Potter right now and nothing else. Right, right. You, well, it, you know, it's funny. I just read a book called One Second After. It was it was the subject of the last podcast, whereby uh, the the United States is is the uh, I guess the victim of a uh, an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP that wipes out digital communication. So obviously, in a situation like that. Uh, paper books would, would be uh, the you know the preferred uh, yeah. delivery route. And so. they're they're making for some reason I read this as an article, but they're making like basically digital libraries. Right. How do you feel about that? Well, as far as I'm concerned, if they don't take over libraries that have actual like solid books, 
that's fine, but do take over them. I'm going to have to do something about it. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. As long as, you know, I'm fine with this digital stuff, as long as I can get my hands on a, a nice, wonderful smelling, you know, incredible feeling book whenever I want. Some books don't exactly smell too wonderful, but... Yeah, well, even that, though, good to read. you know, sometimes stinky is good. <laughs> so... Um, all right. Well, the next question is, what is your favorite book of all time? And I realize, uh, you know, being in the fourth grade and, and being so young, um, you might not have a solid answer for that. But uh, but go for it anyway. Well, that's kind of hard to decide. I mean, my three favorite books are, well, Muddle Earth, this book, mm-hmm. and Avril Clump. Crump and her amazing clones, and then Alcatraz versus the evil librarians. But I think I'm going to have to say that Alcatraz versus the evil librarians would be my favorite book. Right, Alcatraz versus the evil librarians, huh? and wow. not Alcatraz prison. Right, right. I'm assuming Alcatraz is like a wizard or something, maybe. No, he's he's a boy. A he's boy. An oculator. Uh, an oculator. Well, it's. Well, basically, I, well, it's kind of like, so, he, he doesn't know where his, where, who his parents are, and he's being transported from family to family, because, as it turns out later, his talent is breaking things, but <laughs> he, he seems like everything he touches seems to break, like when he went on a school field trick, trip, he, when he picked up a chicken, <laughs> he literally broke the chicken. When he put it down, all his all the chicken's feathers fell off, and the chicken refused to eat nothing but cat food for a week. So. Wow, wow. So he, so, I mean, and like. So, and so then his grandfather comes to pick it up, and it turns out that his imper- inheritance, he thought, was just a bag of sand, turns out to be extremely powerful sands that, you, that can be used to make very powerful lenses and the evil librarians have stolen it so mm, so an oculator like so he well basically there's types of lenses they're like fire lens which you can use to like shoot a laser beam or frost springers which is basically the same thing except with frost and there's like all sorts of different lenses right and he makes them as an oculator well he 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 doesn't make them i mean I'm not exactly sure where he gets them. Hmm. Sounds good. I, I'm. I'm definitely gonna have to get hold and. It's uh, pretty funny. Too. Interested in this. I mean, Alcatraz like sometimes versus... he puts different stories, like, like in the second book. I mean, it's a trilogy. Um, he tells a story about. It's kind of a funny, brief story that kind of is a bit awkward. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because before I I talked to your dad about Flannery O'Connor, I was thinking about reading uh, a book or a selection from a book called, uh, gosh, I'm not going to be able to think of the name of it now, but the hero of this book, his name is Taryn. Um, He's like a pig farmer, and he he goes on this long quest and and becomes a hero. And there's a little girl named Elin Wee. Lloyd Alexander is the author of this book, so I think it's a trilogy, too. Have you ever read those? I think you would really like them. Um, gosh, and I'm not going to be able to think of the name of it, but may, I'll talk to your dad about it uh, sometime when I can think of the name of it. But they're really good. I think one of them is called The Drawing of Three. Maybe that's the first one. 
um, yeah. because the drawing of three refers to um, like these three heroes who head out onto this quest. And I think the three are Taryn, Elin Wee, and this little weird guy named Gurgly. Googly, Gurgly, something like that. He's like this weird monkey-like kind of comic relief um, character. Couldn't you think of like better names that don't end with E? <laughs> apparently not, apparently not. But the, the, the whole series is really, really good. It, it was like the first kind of fantastic uh, stuff that I read as, uh, as a kid, and I really loved it. And I hope Holden will one day, too. But, uh, so, well, the last question then is what are you reading right now? And I'm hoping that it's the book that you brought with you, Muddle Earth, because I'm very interested to hear about it. So, um, well, right now I'm not particularly reading anything. I mean, I read a bit of this last night Mm -hmm. and sometimes I like reread the Asterix and Obelix comments comic books over and over again (laughs) and this is basically i'm going to read a select the like the first couple sentences from it sweet sweet and then i want you to tell me all about it so let's hear this so should i do chapter one or the prologue i think you should do whichever of those two you think would be be best cool actually i think i'll read up about to I mean, it might be a while, but it's going to. So, night was falling over mud, over Muddle Earth. The sun had set, the sky was darkening, and already two of its three moons had risen up above the musty mountains. One of these moons was as purple as a bat bird. The other was as yellow as an ochre's underpants on wash day. Both were full and bright. The land was full of noises as the day creatures, such as tree rabbits, hillfish, and pink stinky hogs, said good night to the night creatures, such as still mice, lazy birds, and exploding gas frogs, who were just getting up. High above their heads, as the black, as the bat birds left their roosts and were soaring across the purple and striped sky, as they bumped into each other, the air filled with their characteristic cry, Ouch! In Elfwood, the trees bowed and sent, and been to chill, howled through the branches. In the perfumed bog, the oozy mud bubbled and plopped. Far off in ochre hills, there was the slurping sound of sucking thumbs, of thumbs being sucked, and a thousand sleepy voices murmuring, Mommy! <laughs> Twinkly lights were coming on throughout over the overcrowded goblin town as the goblins prepared their evening meals. The air was filled with smells of bad breath porridge and snot bread. And the sounds of too many cooks. Have you spat in this? No. Well, go on then, before I put it in the oven. By contrast, Trollbridge was soaked in a cold, dank darkness. The trolls who lived there could see nothing of the cabbages and turnips they were eating for their supper. Their deep voices rumbled from their dwellings beneath the bridge. Has anyone seen my mangle wurzel? It's over there. Ow, that's my head. <laughs> and that's basically all I want to read because then I get into a long conversation between the horned baron and his wife. Which... Sweet, I like it. I like it. So, so tell me about Muddle Earth. Does it, does it in any well, way refer to? Uh... So basically, the... you might want to take a look at the map. I mean, so basically. 
it says like here be dragons and here and here and over here definitely no dragons here and then like in one so section it's well it's actually three fantasy novels in one but they all are about the same thing and have the same characters but one thing which is like there's this extremely sarcastic Ran randolph's pet budgie whose name is veronica and then there's norbert who is an ogre mm -hmm. and then there's joe who is summoned from the regular world and has no clue what's going on and then there's all sorts of other people or not people but goblins and trolls and you know it's a big book. Have you read that whole thing? Yes. Wow, that's impressive. That's that's probably as big as the last couple of books I read. Can I see it? Sure. Sweet, sweet. Muddle Earth. Three fantasy novels in one. Prepare for a great battle between the forces of good, evil, and sort of okay. Sweet, sweet. Well, I'm going to hand you Model Earth back, and I am by now very hungry. Are you even remotely hungry? Yes. Yeah? Good, good. How about you, Jeff? Always. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we're going we're gonna to stop things right here and head upstairs and grab something to eat, and I will read either from uh, Lloyd Alexander or Flannery O'Connor for about, uh, we'll limit it to 10, maybe 15 minutes. And so comes a close. This the first of two December episodes of It's in a Book. Um, obviously enough with Christmas cookies uh, waiting. I'm not going to spend the next 10 to 15 minutes reading either Lloyd Alexander or Flannery O'Connor. Not to mention the fact that uh, Sam left us with a more than adequate, uh, in fact pretty exceptional reading there uh, for this episode. Um, I am just going to get out of here, run and jump in the shower and, uh, and get dressed to go over to the Harris's and have some Christmas cookies. Um, hopefully you'll join us back here again in, in just a couple of days or, you know, obviously, uh, whenever you turn on your computer or your iPhone and, and see a new episode there for a new, uh, episode, the second December episode featuring my friend Mark. Now, I'm not going to say much about Mark, um, including his last name, but uh, he will be joining me as of January here with the podcast on a, on a permanent, uh, regular basis to uh, to kind of hopefully get our, our listenership up and, and just take the whole thing in a new direction um, as well to uh, provide uh, a, a more steady presence. Uh, between uh, my job and some of the other foolishness I get into, I, I just have been so inconsistent, um, which is not at all what I envisioned uh, whenever I, I set out about this madness so um merry christmas and um i'll save the the new year good wishes uh until after the uh, the podcast with mark um thanks for uh, coming along to listen it's in a book